0: Because it goes so fast, you know, it's actually when you're surrounded by other guys in the peloton and the crowds are kind of just blocking the side of the road, it, it's almost like you, you're just moving through space, you know, it's, it's hard to process actually where you are. So having some key landmarks to, to kind of base yourself off of and, and know what's coming up is, can make a big difference. So-
1: Riding with Podcast. I'm Jonathan Kaplan. Every day during the Tour de France, we'll be bringing you an interview to make you smarter and more informed about the world's greatest bike race. We'll be talking with historians, authors, cyclists, mechanics, and so many others who make up the world's greatest bike race. You can find the newsletter at ridingwithkaplan.substack.com. Please subscribe. It's very difficult to do this work without your support. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at riding underscore with, underscore J-E-K. I realize that's not ideal. The riding is R-I-D-I-N-G-W-I-T-H-K-A-P-L-A-N. And today, it's stage four of the Tour de France. It's episode four of the Riding With podcast. And I'm really fortunate to be joined by Kevin Vermarka, who is a young American from Southern California who is riding in his second Tour de France for Team DSM for Munich. They just took on a new... So I hope that's how it's pronounced for Minnick. Kevin rode in last year's tour to France, but unfortunately he crashed. And on stage eight, his injuries were severe enough that he had to drop out, which was crushing and really disappointing because he's such an immense talent. He's a great guy. It's, he's fun to talk to. He provides great insight on what it's like to ride at his level in Europe. He's been doing it for a very long time, even though he's barely old enough to drink so he will interview him in two stages the first uh he'll talk about a day in the life of this of a cyclist at the tour de france everything and it's crazy how much is um, planned out from you know a to z uh throughout the day and almost everything's planned except for what happens on the race course although i guess if the team directors wanted to control that they would control that as well in part two. He will talk about eating drinking and fueling his way through three weeks of racing it is uh it's a lot let's put it that way so with that let's get to it give people a sense of why the tour de france is the biggest race in all of cycling and what it means to what it means for you as a cyclist to be there
0: i think for every every cyclist uh you know even you know, there's pro cyclists that have a full career and might not even have the chance to ride the tour. And, um, you know, like you said in the beginning, you know, it is one of the biggest sporting events in the world. And I think that's part of the reason why it's so, so special, you know, it's bigger than the sport itself. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, you know, even, even last year when I made my, my debut, I had, you know, friends from back home texting me and, you know, they (laughs) saw that I was doing the tour and, You know, they, they knew I was a cyclist over in Europe, but it wasn't until I was at the tour that they really, they really understood that, you know, I was, I was a pro. So, um, I think especially being an American rider, it's pretty, pretty big to go to the tour because that's kind of puts you on the map, uh, back home.
1: Right. Right. It is. It's like the reference point that everybody sort of knows. Um, Mm -hmm. so just like, just get into the nuts and bolts of it. You know, when do you go to Spain for the start of the race?
0: I'm flying out, uh, next Wednesday. So I fly, I'm in, I'm just, uh, north of Barcelona right now. I'm um, in Girona. So it's a pretty easy, pretty easy travel. I fly from Barcelona to Bilbao, um, next week, Wednesday. So, uh, we'll get there Wednesday. Then we have all day Thursday, uh, Friday. Um, we'll usually do the team presentations on Friday. I think the day before the race. Right, so, right. um, yeah, because it is such an easy travel to get there. It's, uh, we'll be getting there on Wednesday and should be relatively low
1: stress. And so do you travel alone or you travel with the team? How's, how does that work?
0: Yeah, I travel with the, well, there's from, from the team that we have going at the tour, I think there's four of us, um, that are all in Girona. So we're all on the same flight, um, from Girona to, to Bilbao. And, uh, my girlfriend's also here at the moment too, and she's going to be going to the, to the start in Bilbao. So she's on the flight too. So, okay. um, you know, it's pretty, it's actually funny when you're, when you're flying to races from, from Barcelona, there's so many guys either in Girona or Andorra um, that are pro that it's always, there's always at least 10 to 15 guys on the plane that are, you know, world tour cyclists and, uh, right. heading to, heading to the races. So I'm sure there'll be quite a few guys on that flight.
1: And do you bring your bike or does the team ferry your bike from Girona to Bilbao?
0: The team, the team brings all the bikes. So I, here in Girona, I just have my training bikes. So these just always stay, um, with me personally. And then, uh, the team will bring my race bikes from the, the, yeah, from the team service course, which is up in the Netherlands actually. So everything gets driven down on in the trucks and buses and cars and all the equipment has to, has to make the drive. So it's pretty big operation.
1: That seems like a logistical nightmare, but I'm glad there are people out there who can do it. Um,
0: Yeah. Even, even just seeing, I mean, you know, when we got the booking, the booking email for the whole race, I mean, just all the logistics, all the hotels that were in the whole month, the, you know, which cars go where, who picks up who it's just a, a massive undertaking. That's probably been, you know, yeah. probably being planned, uh, over the last couple months. So it's definitely, a uh, quite the wow. logistical nightmare. Yeah.
1: So they give you like a big briefing memo of where to be, when to be, you know, who to talk to.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, everything's pretty, pretty simple, especially this time because we're doing uh you know, with a rebranding of the team, um, everything's changing. So new, new clothing, new kits, new, um, Yeah. Everything that kind of had the old DSM logo on it has a new DSM Furmanic logo on it. So, um, we really just, uh, yeah. And that booking info, I got my boarding pass and I show up at the airport and I get on the plane with, uh, really not much, just myself and, uh, my toothbrush. And then everything I needed for the race will, will pretty much be there.
1: I see. But you have to pack, right? I mean, just like you're going away for three weeks. So you'll bring,
0: yeah. So I'll, you know, Everyone has their own, their personal things that they bring that they, you know, makes it feel a little bit more like home. And, um, you know, some guys are big coffee guys and they'll bring, uh, you know, their own beans or their own AeroPress or something like that. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Um, yeah, just something, something to, you know, and, and I mean, you're in a new hotel almost every day. So something that, you know, every night when you go to bed or morning when you wake up, it'll, at least one thing, you know, will be the same.
1: Yeah. What are you bringing? Any books?
0: Uh, I'm definitely going to bring quite a few books. Um, I think I'm going to, especially cause we, I can pack pretty light going there. I don't have to, I mean, usually I'd have to pack all quite a bit of kit, um, all the kit I would need for the race. So that, that takes up a lot of room, but since I'm going with pretty much an empty suitcase, I'll have, uh, I'm hoping I'll have room to take some, some paperback books instead of the Kindle. So um, I see, I I'm see. still gonna, still gonna try and get to the bookshop one time before I leave and, and stock up
1: on a few. Oh, interesting. Okay. So you just basically bring your, what about like a helmet and shoes?
0: Uh, I'll bring my shoes. Um, You know, shoes are pretty personal. I have a a backup set of shoes in my, in my rain bag, which stays with the team. Right. The pair of shoes that I wear in training, I also will wear in the race. So I'll bring those with me.
1: And they have the helmets.
0: Yeah. They have helmets, glasses, uh, you know, pretty, pretty much everything.
1: Okay. So let's, um, just go to like a typical day at at the, at the tour. I I know, you know, you have eight stages under your belt, but you know, can you give people a sense of how the day is structured? Do they tell you like when to wake up, when to go to sleep, you know, when you'll be eating?
0: It's pretty structured the whole day. So every, every night before you go to bed, usually around 9 PM, we'll get the day plan for the following day. Um, and that will have uh what time breakfast is what time we leave the hotel what time we have to put the suitcases out uh-huh. um usually at breakfast we'll when we go down we'll put our suitcases uh outside the room and then uh some swaniers from the team will um put the suitcases in the in the mechanic truck which goes the the mechanic truck doesn't go from the to the start of the race it goes straight from one hotel to We're the next right, yeah. um to get everything set up for the next day so They take all the suitcases and everything, so they'll tell us what time we have to put those out, Um, breakfast, obviously, and then what time we leave for the race. And uh, I think that's one of the things a lot of people don't realize is how much time you actually spend driving. Um, I'd say on average it's a good hour, hour and a half um, in the bus before the stage, you know, from the hotel to wherever you start that day. Um, You usually get to the start around an hour and a half Probably an hour and a half on average before the start of the race. Um, first thing we'll do when we get there is have a team meeting about the day, what the goals are, um, what the parkour looks like. We have a big um, projector in the bus, so the the sport directors will have a whole PowerPoint presentation about um, key points, uh, Google or, you know Street View of key sections. Um, we know when the bottle points are coming up, so it's pretty detailed. That presentation can can last. Uh, a long time. Sometimes
1: that's amazing. Um, I think it'd be, i find it yeah. hard to take in that amount of information.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, it, it, sometimes it can be too much, but it's also, uh, you know, I think I, I learned, uh, how to kind of use it to my advantage. I think in the beginning I was a little bit, oh, this, you know, this is too much for me to, to process. And, and I was thinking, oh, I can, can wing it on the fly, but it actually makes a, a big difference. Um, And I think just, you know, if you can really just focus for those 20, 20, 30 minutes and just try and take it all in, and especially if it's a day where it's important for me, I mean, if I want to get in a break or if I have a job to do, then um, really knowing like whether it's a landmark or, um, you know, a roundabout or a certain thing, like, you know, just to have a point of reference in the race because it goes so fast, you know, it's actually when you're surrounded by other guys in the Peloton and the crowds are kind of just blocking the side of the road. It, it's almost like you, you're just moving through space, you know, it's, it's hard to process actually where you are. So Mm -hmm. having some key landmarks to, to kind of base yourself off of and, and know what's coming up is can make a big difference. So that'll be, that's the first thing we do when we get to the start, we have that team presentation. Um, and then we'll have to go sign on. Um, which is usually based on the the GC ranking of the teams. So if, say, you have the yellow jersey, you'll be signing on just before the start of the race. And if you're last on the GC order, you'll be (laughs) the first team to sign on when you get there. So that's just basically where the the team goes up and, um, you know, in their kit, they sign on for the day. There's a big stage and the crowd's there they introduce all the riders and it's kind of a bit of a show for all the people at the start.
1: Right. We say sign um, on, you literally like you sign your name in a book.
0: Yeah, there's a big like um kind of a a big podium up there um and you yeah, you sign on with a with a pen and that kind of shows that you're starting for that day. Um if someone was sick or something overnight, they wouldn't sign on right. and that would that means they didn't start the race, so it's, it, I guess it's kind of a tradition. Yeah. It um, seems like kind
1: of, kind of a relic. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, I mean, some races have it now where it's like an iPad or something and you just click, uh, you know, like electronically sign, uh, like click, click that you're there. Wow. But I think it's just more for, you know, obviously the big name riders and, you know, the fans come out to see them and get introduced and, it's, right. you know, especially having uh Bardet on our team, you know, it's pretty, it's he, a pretty big deal in France. So it's, it's really cool, actually. Every every day we get a big, uh, big applause, and the fans love him. So it's cool to you know have that energy every day.
1: And that's Roman um, Bardet.
0: Yeah, Roman Bardet. He's Roman. a yeah our GC guy for the for this year. So we'll hope. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, hoping cool. for
0: a podium. Yeah.
1: So do you, and then you'll warm up, or you get on the trainer.
0: Yeah, actually, most like it depends, but most days we wouldn't warm up. Um, oh, really? Um, I would. I would only warm up if it was gonna like the start was gonna be either straight up a climb, um, or if I just knew it was gonna be a really hard start, and, and if I was really trying to to be in the breakaway that day, I would. I would maybe warm up for ten, fifteen minutes on the trainer just to, yeah, nothing special, but just to get the legs moving a bit, so I wasn't, you know. Going going from sitting on the bus to a full out sprint. Right, um, right, right. But most most of the time I don't warm up because uh there'll be a neutral start anywhere from two to ten kilometers long where it's you know, we're just riding along behind the the neutral car, usually out of the city um that we're starting in. And uh that's super easy, but it'll just at least move the legs a little bit before the real start.
1: Now that's so interesting. Thanks for sharing those that, those details. Um so when the race is over will you, you'll get on the trainer and cool down?
0: Yeah. Again, usually, usually I'll get on the trainer and cool down after more that more often than I would warm up before the race. Yeah. Um, you know, if it was a sprint finish or something and I, you know, did the last couple K pretty easy and I didn't feel like I needed uh-huh. to warm down, then I would, I would maybe skip it. But, Got it. um, you know, any mountaintop finish or hard finish, uh, I definitely would, would cool down, um, 10 minutes on the trainer, maybe at the bus, get a recovery drink in first thing. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it's pretty, you know, as soon as you finish, it's kind of, you know, everyone's trying to get out of there as quick as possible to get to the hotel and get massage and, and get to dinner. So it's, uh, you know, usually we'll cool down and then get on the bus, take a shower. Um, we have a couple showers on the bus, so everyone will <laughs> do that, get cleaned up, and then, uh, and then start driving as soon as we can because it's already... You know, we may have another hour and a half in the bus um, to the hotel after the finish. Right. So, right. yeah. Usually, usually we then get to the hotel between you know five to six p.m. Um, start massage right away, um, and then have dinner around 830, um, eight thirty. eight Eight thirty. Hopefully, seven thirty. I like to eat dinner a little earlier. That's so late. Yeah. Seven. Yeah. Seven thirty, if possible. But um, you know, with all the guys getting massage, we usually have three three or four years rotating everybody, but it's still a 45 minute massage per person. So oh wow! even if it's just two guys, that's an hour and a half from when you, after you get to the hotel. Right. Um, right. And this, I actually, this is something I've heard from other teams, but I guess where it's normal on DSM, but we always eat together as a team. Like when, mm. you know, like say someone was up first for massage and there, maybe there's a guy that, you know, he's third in line. we We'd always just wait until everyone's done, and then and then go eat together. But I guess other teams have a uh, they'll just eat when you know they'll eat when they're ready. Yeah. Say yeah. one guy's done first, he'll eat, or another guy will eat before his massage, and um, so you always see like maybe some guys sitting on their own at the dinner table while their teammates getting a massage. But you know, I've had a couple of, couple of guys actually say to me like, "Oh, it's pretty cool that you guys are all like, you know."
1: Yeah, taking yeah. The,
0: investing a little bit to eat together and kind of socially make the most of the opportunity. And just, yeah, I mean, most of the time we'll even just, you know, we'll have dinner and it might be late, but we'll still hang around for an extra half hour after dinner, just talking and laughing and trying to, to unwind a bit. Right. But yeah, the, the dinners can be late eight 30, you know, that's, <laughs> you're done at nine 30. Um, and then you basically, that's kind of the only free time then you have after dinner. Yeah. Um, you know, read a book, watch some Netflix, call my girlfriend, <laughs> you know, call the parents. And, and then it's, you know, trying to go to bed as, as soon as you can, because you have to get up the next day at seven 30 and, and do it all over again.
1: Right. Oh, so there is a, is there a curfew? Not that, not that you guys would no, probably there, need one. No you're so curfew. tired. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, there's no curfew, okay. but uh, I get, it all just depends on, uh, I mean, there's some guys that go to bed at nine and there's some guys that, Go to bed at midnight. You know the night owls that that don't need as much sleep. So it uh, it all depends. Uh
1: huh. Yeah. And the I guess the one thing I missed was be you know it. I guess now I think about it as I've been writing the newsletter or, newsletter and having, you know, gone to a few stages last year, is that you know the race starts at noon or one, and mm-hmm. which is sort of like later than I thought. But of course, you know, if you watch it here in the states, you got to wake up at seven o'clock or so um yeah but what do you guys do for lunch or do you just have like a later breakfast
0: we, we would usually just have a later breakfast okay. so we usually try to eat breakfast three hours before the start um oh, okay. okay so usually the start is yeah either nine AM like uh midday so 12 or 1 p.m um and we'll be eating at 9 nine thirty a.m breakfast um and that's kind of trying to space it out three hours before it and then I wouldn't usually have a big meal again for lunch, maybe just right before the race starts. I'll have like a, a protein bar or some little, you know, uh, some sort of snack a banana or something, but, uh, nothing crazy kind of just to top me off and then, right. um, just start eating right away in the race.
1: Wow. That's fascinating. So thanks for sharing that. I think it's, I think it's great. Yeah. It's so, it's so interesting. Yeah. Um, and you know, good luck and, uh, we'll be watching. Yeah. Thanks Jonathan. I appreciate it. The Writing With podcast is produced and edited by the team at Palm Tree Podco. Anthony Palmer is the executive producer.